Well, greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm Todd Bashong, the editor here at Fresh Text. Due to a slight technical difficulty, John's introduction was erased for this show, giving me the pleasure of introducing this week's guest. Our guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda is a professor in the Department of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University and is a gifted preacher and teacher of the Word, in addition to being a regular guest here on Fresh Text. This week's text is Psalm 84 for the first Sunday in Christmas. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening and enjoying what you hear, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with John and Amanda Drury. Would you be willing to read the passage and we'll get started? Sure. Psalm 84. For the director of music, according to Giddith, of the sons of Korah, a psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's continue to pray. Father, we're grateful that the scriptures contain not only your word to us, but also our word back to you, which I suppose is one way of thinking of the Psalms. And so we're grateful for this psalm that brings to speech thoughts and feelings, desires, some of which might feel very familiar to us, some of which might feel quite foreign. But even those unfamiliar thoughts and desires are teaching us something too, uh, helping us to pray. For we often do not know what to pray. And yet the Spirit intercedes for us with 
groanings deeper than words. And we have these words to carry us and help us find our way as we cry out to you. So Lord, may these words become our words, uh, the prayers of your church in all ages, uh, but particularly in this hour for Amanda and myself and all those listening in. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, so Mandy, what, what do you notice here? Actually, let me back up and say, I, I think I gave you a couple choices uh, right. and you chose this one. So maybe tell me, tell me, I mean, it, I didn't let you choose the week. We use a riff off the lectionary as our curriculum, but, uh, but I gave you a couple weeks to choose from and you selected this one and said there were some reasons. Would you be willing to start there or is that, is that? Too personal, and you don't. Want oh to start no, there. that that's that's fine. I don't know that it's a very profound answer, but I'll I'll give it to you. Profound is overrated. I like it. <laughs> that's the short answer. I do know that I'm drawn to the Psalms where I know a song associated with it. Okay, yeah. So so growing up, we did lots of praise choruses and Sunday evening church, and so there are snippets of Psalms in my head. This one, of course, um, not of course, but would be more from my college days. Oh, delirious! I think we were just talking 90s, about that. Yeah. And so I can't help but sing every time I read this psalm, which in some ways makes me feel like I'm closer to how it would have been presented earlier. So there, there's something fun in that, a, a nostalgia that it, that it pulls out in me. And also just kind of this artistic engagement with the text. But then also I'm, I'm just, I'm working on some research right now. And this psalm has been, has been kind of a, a, a guidepost in, in what I've been doing this, this semester. So just oh, look, how so looking at young adulthood, I'm working on a grant proposal right now that has to do with finding fresh ways of loving God, loving neighbors with this age 23 to 29, somewhere in that range. And, okay. and there's just there's a number of snippets here, a number of phrases that I think are especially relevant, especially poignant for young adults. Is it the, the kind of sort of pilgrimage vibe of it? Is that, or is it more just the emotional expression of the text? I'm just wondering. You, yeah, you don't have to yeah. camp there if you don't want to. No, no, I'm happy to. And and I say young adults, but but I think everything I'm about to say is pretty applicable <laughs> to us older adults as well. But first of all, just this sense of of longing, of yearning. I always think that that's a a powerful emotion if we can tap into that because people people know that emotion. Okay. And so there's something that it just it, it pulls something for you. And especially looking at this, this age range where there's so much transience and unknown, and there's this simultaneous longing for simpler times, but also longing for something in the future where, where you've got a sense of what's going on, more, more stability there. So there's the sense of longing there. There's the pilgrimage. You're kind of wandering, trying to figure out where it is, where it is you're headed. But then also this in verse 10, the better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Hmm. I think this generation, especially, I always hate it when sentences start that way. This generation, yeah. but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. This generation, perhaps others, perhaps others right? as well. That's all you gotta say, and then you proceed. But there's this desire for quality over quantity. So I, I didn't grow up drinking coffee. I think the first time I liked coffee, it was gas station cappuccinos, and that was the only thing I could drink. Uh, the rest of the coffee, meh, I didn't, didn't think of much of. Uh, as I've gotten older and my tastes have matured, now yeah, I yeah. now I can't stand the stuff, and I'd rather get something a bit more authentic. So it's you know better is better is one 
fresh brew, pour over something, something than a thousand gas station cappuccinos. Yeah, it's a quality over quantity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I, I get that. And especially if you look at market trends in terms of how young adults are, are spending their money, they are spending they spend more, more money less, on less stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So there's a kind of value system there. And maybe that's linked back to this longing hmm. business. I don't know if it is, but because there is this kind of the language of longing can work. And I'm just speaking in English here and I'll, I'll maybe glance at the Hebrew in a moment. But just when I hear longing, I hear two things that can coexist. It could be just like a lack, right? An absence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But longing often can work for when you you have things. You maybe even have the things you want and yet something's still missing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You, longing would, would fit well in that kind of a circumstance. Uh, yes. You could think of a a couple, you know, or even a, a, like even a married couple where like there's one of the partners maybe wanting, like you've got it, you're together, you're doing things, you know what I mean? They're, you're right. faithful, but there's something more. They're longing for something. Well, I feel that even with our kids, I mean, we're in your office right now and I immediately started looking at pictures of, well, there's Clara when she's two years old. And I, I mean, I live with Clara. I spent all day Saturday with her doing a mother-daughter thing. But but I still have this this yearning for that age right there when, you know, she's going to come up and, and snuggle on my lap and we're going to read and do this and that. You know, that that, that longing for something that was that I, I loved then, but I, I just I want more of it still. Yeah. So then that's a difficulty. There's a translational sort of difficulty here worth commenting on and passing here. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, longing, as you're mentioning, has a kind of... You mentioned looking at pictures can have a nostalgic quality to it, looking back, Mm -hmm. right? So there's different ways of translating verse three or or two in most English translations, right? The what how does verse two read in what are you using today? I'm using the NIV. Well, how does verse two read? My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Okay, so just the first half. Can you read that again? My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Yeah, so my soul, so sorry, can I just Hebrew geek for a second? Do it. Like, so soul, this is nefesh, which I like to joke that, like, we have this, like, very, like, metaphysical idea of a soul. Mm-hmm. And that we think that's what you mean when you say soul. But, like, we're totally, like, fine with a kind of, like, the very physical metaphor of heart. Like huh. you say heart okay. and we know what you mean. Yeah. 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 And, and, and even still you could say, well, it isn't just an abstraction. Like there is something you feel things mm-hmm. kind of right there in the middle of your chest. Right. Yeah. So the word nefesh here is it's it as Hebrew often does has, and I've said this before, pardon me listeners, but it's really important in the Psalms. So I'm going to say it again. Nefesh is the word for throat. Huh? And I sometimes like to just make it throat again because we say heart with a straight face, right? We say guts. I I knew it in my gut. Yep. Or in my bones. Right. Mm -hmm. How about in my throat? Right. And it actually (laughs) works really well. My throat longed, right? It has the language of thirst or hunger, especially thirst, even languished or fainted for the courts of the Lord. Mm. My heart and my flesh sing gladness. So that's the first thing is just to kind of note. Now it, it is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for yourself, for your very, your whole self, you know, who you are, you know, where, where the breath goes in and out your life, your life breath. So I'm fine with soul. I'm not complaining about the translation. I'm just sort of getting a kick out of like the, the poetic concreteness of a throat. 
Yeah. That's yeah. like, oh, oh, I want it. And that's where singing comes out of, right? Mm-hmm. The next yep. line. Yep. And then there's this problem with the, the tenses of the verbs. Is this a past tense? Is it a future? Is it a huh. present? How does your NIV? Be? Because the tenses of Hebrew verbs don't map onto like time the way modern tenses do, you know, like okay. it's more about aspect. Like they use the past for something kind of at a distance and mm. they use the, <laughs> it's like really weird, you know, okay. um, I won't get into that, but how does yours have it? Um, My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Yeah. So these could be past tense though. Mm-hmm. I, my soul was longing. Yeah, yeah. Because, and then as the psalm progresses, huh. it sounds like he's in the temple talking about the birds have a nest here, right? Yeah. And that imagery, you know what I mean? You know, happy are those who dwell in your house, like who've passed through the Valley of Baca. Like you could read the whole song, not as on the way, but having arrived. Okay. You know, so my soul yearned, even fainted for the courts yeah. of the Lord. Hmm. Um. I don't think that's better. I think it's probably best to think of it as more on the way. And then by the time you get to the end about the one day versus a thousand, I mean, that's a thing you say when you, when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think more like, oh man, just one day here is better than, you know, and it's much about not wanting to leave as it is about getting there. Hmm. I don't know if that's helpful, but I thought I'd just yeah, interesting. mention that it works either way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beauty of poetry is it doesn't have, <laughs> it's never going to be a singular meaning. That's not, it's not designed to work that way. Right. The right. context in which you sing it and the experiences that you're having at that time changes the meaning of the text. There's not a fixed meaning because like the original author is not the determiner. Like whatever you think about the original author saying what a text should mean in other circumstances, like the original intent of the author is for the people to sing the song. Right. So the, the author intends for us to make it our own. Right. More than in any other yeah, part of the yeah, scriptures. Yeah. So even if you were to ask the author, what did you mean by that? He would say, it doesn't matter. What matters is, you know what I mean? Like you want to know what you these do. These words with. on your throat. <laughs> yes. Let these words be on your throat. And how does your throat, your being, your soul fill them with meaning? Right. You know, mm. not that awareness of the original context doesn't help, but well, that's great. Let's, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some more. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury. We're looking at Psalm 84. How about I read the text again? I've got a Robert Alter's amazing translation oh, of the Psalms. Yeah. I'll read that yeah. just to get us started, and then we'll, we'll keep exploring. So first, the inscription, which in the original Hebrew is verse 1, always. Hmm. So that's why the verse numbers don't always line up when we're talking today. But Oh. So for the lead player on the Gittith, for the Korahites, a psalm. How lovely your dwellings, O Lord of armies. My being longed and even languished for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing gladness to the living God. Even the bird has found a home and a swallow, a nest for itself. That puts its fledglings by your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God. Happy are they who dwell in your house. They will ever praise you. Happy the folk whose strength is in you, the highways in their heart, who pass through the valley of Baca. They make it into a spring. Yes, the early rain cloaks it with blessings. 
They go from rampart to rampart. They appear before God in Zion. Lord, God of armies, hear my prayer. Hearken, O God of Jacob. O shield, O God, see and regard your anointed one's face. For better one day in your courts than a thousand I have chosen, standing on the threshold in the house of my God, than living in the tents of wickedness. For a sun and shield is the Lord. God is grace and glory. The Lord grants he does not withhold bounty to those who go blameless. O Lord of armies, happy the man who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, so where do you want to start? We, you, you mentioned at the beginning, asked, do we, should we read the opening line or not? Right. Was that just a sort of generic question or did you have particular interest? No, in uh, this one in particular grabbed my attention. The sons of Korah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we know who Korah is. Uh, you go to Korah's rebellion with Moses. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big event. And I, so I, I did a bit of a, um, I don't know, just a treasure hunt this morning. I went back and, and read that. Uh, where, where is it? Number 16, I think it is. Yeah, go ahead. There were two main things that stuck out to me. First, Korah's children were spared, but the mm. other leaders of the rebellion, their children were not spared. And, and we get the impression that the reason why they were spared was because they weren't with their father. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so we can read about the story in Numbers 16, but then also in Numbers, let me find it. Numbers 26, I think it is. During the second census that Moses is taking, they're surveying everyone who's 20 years old or more. And in verse 11 there, it says, the line of Korah, however, did not die out. Uh-huh. So okay. he's, he's pointing out, okay, that Korah's descendants are, are living. But looking back to chapter 16, I, I never caught this before, but I think it's at least three times they're talking about the entrance to the tent of meeting, the ah. entrance to the tent of meeting, that this is where they're gathering. Yeah, they meet with Moses in the verse 18 at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. When Korah had gathered all of his followers in opposition to them, at the entrance to the court of meeting, you know, the glory of the Lord appeared. I think it comes up again here. Where is it? Then at, then at the very end. So verse 50. So all these people die. They die, they die, they die, they die. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting for the plague had stopped. Wow. So this real link. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. So just real quick, I glanced. So 11 different songs are connected to the song Sons of Korah. Okay. No, but I was wondering about that. So it's 42, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49. So 42, then 44 through 49. Then this, 84, then 85, break, 87, 88. So those are all in book two of the Psalms. Hmm. When the book divisions, there's five books of the Psalter. How old those book divisions are is... Uh, a historical mystery. Okay. You know what I mean? But the very first Psalm in book two, Psalm 42 is, is a Korahite okay. Psalm. So like the sons of Korah or Korahites is a, cause that, that's a generic way of saying so sons of blank is how you would say 
how, how you would name a tribe. Sure, sure. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Say the sons of Aaron. Uh, that'd be like saying, you know, Aaronians or whatever. Right. So it's an idiom. Of course, it's, I guess, an open question. Is, is this referring to that line? But like you said, they were preserved. So there's probably some connection yeah, yeah. intended. Right. There's a big problem with problem, sorry, interpretive problems. There's nothing okay. wrong with the text. There's an interpretive problem around the preposition here. So let's just look at it. This is this is good introduction. This is, I mean, this, this is, I think, episode maybe five in our new, in a year, starting at the beginning of Advent where we're doing Psalms. So there's mm. some of this general stuff about these inscriptions and how old are they? Are, okay. are they added later okay. or not? Uh-huh. How much should we take them as the key to interpreting the text? Although here you saw some clear connections, especially when you connect back to things in the Torah. Sure. Right? Some of the David stuff's a lot trickier, you know what I mean? Because they're kind of the same... Like the David stories were being developed at the same time as the Psalms were being, you know what I mean? Right. And so right. which one comes first and is always a kind of a little tricky. Whereas like the Torah is already written by the time these Psalms are, you know, so those connections back to numbers, I think are pretty, pretty significant, but it's literally one letter. <laughs> the Benei Korah, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the Benei Korah, the, the, the sons of Korah, Le is on the front. Same with the David Psalms. It's just Le David. Hmm. And la could mean to, for, with, by, in honor of, right? So this okay. wouldn't have to be okay. the core of people wrote it. Interesting. It could be. Uh-huh. It could mean that. It could mean in honor of that or in the tradition of the, in the style of them. It could mean all of these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. However it goes, there's no reason to not think that there's a reference back to this community, which as you pointed out, the son's survived and they met at the tent of meeting, which has a double meaning. Mm-hmm, Both of mm-hmm. that's where you meet to have debates and discussion, which is what's going on in that story. But also the tent of meeting is the tabernacle, yeah, right? The be- yeah. It's where Moses meets with God on behalf of the people. Yeah. And they're meeting in the entrance, which is referenced here, right? Better right. is one day. Or I'd rather be a doorkeeper. There's yeah, does your version do that or no? Is that an NLT thing? The door. The I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I think I think that's what mine. Let's go says. back to Psalms. Did it? That's oh, actually here. that's actually helpful for a modern reader. Yes, I would rather be a doorkeeper yeah, in the see, house of my God. Right. So that's comparing it with like at the end, it's standing on the threshold or one day in your courts. This is meaning like I'd rather be on the edge, on the periphery. Yeah. Of the tabernacle or the temple. By this time, it's the temple. Mm-hmm. than to be like in a choice seat at a table with the wicked, right? It's, yeah, it's comparing, yeah. I'd rather be on the edge. Right. Um, and Numbers goes out of the way, as I said, to, to stress that they're alive. So they do have that line of the, you know, yes. this line preserved. But also in 16, starting with verse 25, uh, his kids would have been warned that this was coming. So I'll just read this. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance to their tents. So even there, it's it's not mentioning the family of, of Korah. Mm. I just wonder if, if, if they heard the warning, they actually took it seriously. But something something kept them from standing in the in the tents of their father yeah can you i mean it, this might take too long on the fly but do you know what tribe the Borahites are from i levi. don't know levi they are from levi yeah they are oh well that's helpful 
So this would not be one of the tribes that had their own land, mm-hmm. but would have been priestly yep. communities. Yep. So, I mean, now I'm just going to put on my historical reconstructor hat for a moment and say, okay, I could totally imagine, however the actual descendant line goes or whatever, that there would be a group of priests and maybe they're, you know, and they have set aside Levitical cities and, you know, let's, I don't actually know. I'm, I'm not familiar of them being referenced again in the Samuel and Kings, you know, but let's say they're, they live somewhere in the Judean countryside or what have you. And as you know, they take turns, right? So they're on different, they're on rotation, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe uh, a couple months a year, the Korahites come in and take their turn as being priests, you know? Sure. So they would have a culture, they would have a history, they would, and they would have a style of music and of singing, right? Right. right. And so there was a, ch- their choice to not go with their father is not just a choice to stay loyal to Moses and loyal to the house of Israel as a whole. It's also a choice to remain part of the Levitical hmm. priesthood hmm. that's in, in its infancy back in numbers. Sure, sure, yeah. Right, but this yeah. would be a this would be a story. I don't know, and, and yeah, I mean, it's right after this when the duties of the priests and Levites are are hammered yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you look too at, at what this whole complaint is about. So we've got Korah saying, "You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them." And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So this rebellion is about these men wanting more, more honor, wanting, wanting to be in the same position as Moses, this, this seat. Mm. And then we've got, was that, that was, uh, I believe it was, it just says they came. Okay. But they're also, oh, well, but, the, but then Moses yeah. says, Moses heard this. He said to Korah and his followers. And what makes Moses unique? It's merely, it's back to Psalm 84. It's that he meets with God on behalf of the people. It's not that he's more gifted, more powerful, more yeah, yeah. more virtuous even necessarily, though he has some virtues that are extolled in, in, in the Torah, but that he meets with God. Yeah. It's that he spends all his days in the courts of God, mm-hmm. talking with God. That's that's the reason he leads. Nothing else about him, you know? Yeah. And, huh. And you could see chapter 84 as a direct assault to what you know, Korah is saying where mm. they're not asking for more honor. They would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. You know, I don't need anything more than that. Just let me be a doorkeeper here and I will be happy. Yeah. And there is a kind of implied sense that we're not going to play those political games anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause it doesn't seem that Korah and Dothan and all those are challenging, you know, the, the priestly, and even in some ways, the prophetic side of what Moses is doing. They're challenging the, the quasi-royal function he's performing, right? Yeah, that he's right, the shepherd, the right. leader. And there's a, at least a subtle kind of, it's one way to take it is to say, you know, hey, you don't want to end up, you don't want, you don't <laughs> want to end up like your <laughs> great, great, great grandpa, you know, buried this, alive when the earth falls. Yeah. Yeah, but you think about this. This is all long after the establishment of a royal house. Right, right. Right? And but and the priesthood has some independence from that and can push back against it when it chooses. Mm-hmm. And one way to read those stories in numbers is whatever was going on in, when those events took place, as these stories would have been told and handed right, down, this right. would have been a story of, hey, hey, priests, you, you want to question, you want to challenge and the, you know, the Davidic kings, yeah. you know, just let them do their thing. And maybe that's <laughs> relevant back to 
verse uh, 9 or 10 there with the reference to the anointed ones. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Which again, you know, our shield, O God, see and regard your anointed's face. What do you have in NIV there? Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be referencing the king, right? Kind of, there, there, right? there's an implied submission to the king here. Yeah. There's also some messianic significance there that maybe we'll come back to in mm-hmm. our third segment. I'll just put a pin in that. However, you also would anoint the priest. So this could be a gaggle of priests sort of saying, look upon the one that's going to go in maybe on day of atonement, sure, right? Sure. You know, regard their face. In other words, don't, don't strike them dead. Remember they put a rope around yeah. their, their ankle when they went in once a year, just in case. Right. <laughs> so, Okay. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Anything else you want to get in before we go to our third segment? Yeah. Go ahead. Why do they keep calling themselves the son of Korah? Oh. (laughs) You know, do they like being reminded of this rebellion? I mean, why not say the Levites or or the name of the of their ancestor that didn't stand next to next to their father? You know, I wonder what it is about that name that's or or maybe it's a badge of honor. I survived. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, I can't help but I'm going to attempt to be not too snarky and say that's a very modern question <laughs> to think that your name would be something you could choose. I mean, that just wouldn't, sure. that's a question okay. that, that okay. would just not even register. Like, yeah. cause that's who we are. Like, I, I don't, I just don't think an ancient person would be able to grasp. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I see that. I see um, that. You know, like in America, you can just go, as long as you fill out the form, pay a little fee, you can change your name as many times as you want. Like that's a pretty modern and and actually kind of strange. That's actually the outlier to think that a name could be chosen. Huh. It's just who you are. Like you don't get to choose it. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. So I know that's a snarky answer, but oh. but yeah. then it does take on significance to say this is who they are. This they they carry this history with them. Yeah. And maybe what they know that we don't as modern folk is that you can change your name, but you still take your story with you, hmm. right? The the body remembers the historical trauma. It comes with you, even yeah. if you drop the name. Yeah. So I don't know. I know that was kind of a non-answer, but. Oh, that works. Cool. Hey, well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at Psalm 84. So yeah, let's explore some sermon starters. And we really want to expand how this last segment goes this year as we're turning into the Psalms. So the question I want to ask is, I'll say some introductory words, but here's the question is, how would we practice, preach, or pray this Psalm? Hmm. That's kind of the way I want to put the question but leading into that, let's also note that this is a psalm assigned for uh, the Christmas season. Yeah. Uh, for the first Sunday of Christmas tide. Why? <laughs> why do you think? And I don't care again why the lectionary thought that. What do we see here that connects? Yeah, I mean, I to the month of December is like the classic month of nostalgia, of longing, mm. of remembering. Mm. There's things that you want, you know, you think back to happy Christmases. Uh, you desire this Christmas to be a certain way. You're wondering who's going to show up and is going to, you know, what you know that you're going to be making memories right now that are going to that are going to be lasting with you forever. But uh, I mean, any any commercial that's coming on during this season is 
shouldn't say any, most of the commercials are going to be playing off some of these themes mm. here that the longing for something. Yeah. So that's, that's a, and it's a pilgrimage season too. It is. It is. Right. Yep. For us and for Mary and Joseph. Ah, yeah. So another connection that came to mind, I have two main ones. One is one we already started discussing uh, before the break, which is this reference to the anointed in verse uh, uh, nine or 10. What verse is that in for you? The anointing? Yeah. Uh, Nine. Anointed one. Yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of found that interesting sure um the first thing i want to just highlight is i used to find the way that earlier christians would kind of find christ under every rock in the old testament and like the new testament the old testament came alive for me when i learned to not rush to that Mm -hmm. so and so i'm grateful for that to understand that these texts developed over a thousand years and had meaning to those people and paying attention to that will help us But then, of course, I've kind of come full circle now. And one of the factors is to recognize that that the the Latin word for anointed one, well, the Hebrew word is is the root word Messiah, Hmm. and in Latin it's just Christus, which for most of Christian history has just become like a name of Jesus. Yeah. So, like, they were finding Christ in the Psalms because the word Christ (laughs) is in the Psalms. Does that make sense? So, I just wanted to point that out for what it's worth to say that. You know, oh God, look and and behold the face of your Christ, hmm. and to think of how that's a really cool thing to say. Yeah, yeah. In the Christmas season, to say to God, we're all looking at at your Christ, your Son, hmm. and and you are too. You know, yeah, yeah. L- l- just looking, like that's a big part of the Christmas season is that kind of just contemplative looking. Right, you know? right. And there could be some, we, we could see honoring of Mary in this too. At least my passage having the, you know, look with favor on your anointed mm. one. You know, you who are highly favored, we hear that phrase a lot during the Christmas season. Oh, that's that's great. That's great. Yes, that favor. And then the the better is one day in your courts. You know, better better is one day out in the fields tending sheep than a thousand in the, in the palace of King Herod. Ooh, yeah. Uh, two nights ago. Yeah, I was going to say. Can our, you, yeah. Our, can you tell our, that story? That'd be really great. <laughs> our seven-year-old Paul, we were, we were reading through some of these, some of these stories that, of, of the birth of Jesus. And there were two things that just made him laugh. The first was uh, we were talking about God sending a Messiah, a Savior. And, and I asked Paul, you know, what, what do you think it would look like if, if God were to send a Savior? And, and Paul immediately starts talking about a warrior, you know, this and that. And he's describing this thing. And then I say, you want to know what it was? He goes, what? I said, it was a baby. And he just started to laugh. Mm. It made him laugh. And then we kept reading and we got to this, uh, you know, this passage of the angels appearing. And... I pose the question, okay, Paul, if you had, you know, the world's best choir, you know, angels were actually singing the choir, where would you want them to sing? And he says, you know, at church on a big stage. And then we read, you know, happened out in the field with shepherds. And again, he just started to laugh and he caught a certain absurdity there that, uh, I don't know, can go over my head that I ha- certainly haven't thought of in, in a long time. But just really, really capturing the, the lowliness of the position of these people yet the, yet the favored place in which they find themselves. Oh, that's, that's so good. That, that comparison 
the day to a thousand definitely fits right on with that theme that's in both Matthew and Luke mm-hmm. accounts. Yeah. So say, say one of our listeners is preaching or teaching on one of those stories. They could make some references to this right. psalm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although if one were going to preach, teach, or pray or sing this psalm, it has its own, its own independent power too. It does. One last Christmas connection is just this language of the tabernacle. And even the Latin version of, of this psalm uses tabernacle over and over. Because you have, I mean, the word temple does not appear here, which is always striking how seldom the word temple, right? Hmm. Do you have temple at all? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, so no house, house dwellings, and tent gets used. Yeah, yeah. And then tent or dwellings is also the word ta- tabernacle is just an old-fashioned word for a tent. Do you know what I mean? So the tent of meeting would be a tabernacle of meeting. Sure. And the verb in John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and <laughs> dwelled. It's not the standard word like abide, dwelled. It's, it's tabernacled among us, huh, huh. set up a tent and moved. But, it's, but it's, a, it's a Bedouin, historically a Bedouin culture, Hebrew. And so tent, tent implies moving around a little, you know, sure. setting up yeah, tent for yeah. a while and then moving around a pilgrimage. Right, right. right. So, so even though they come to have a temple, which of course Jesus has an awkward relationship with the temple, <laughs> as did ancient Judaism around his time anyway, as Judaism was spread all over, there was a question of, do we really have to go back to the temple? Isn't God here with us? So, so there's a, and Stephen has some nasty stuff to say in his speech about the temple, you know, and so, so clearly there's a, the, the temple's a, a holy place, but a, but a, but a, they have a complicated relationship. Yeah. Relationship, it's complicated, right? <laughs> But actually, then, even when you go into the scriptures, especially the Psalms that speak so much of the tent or the house or the tabernacle, mm-hmm. it almost has this double connection, both to the temple, but also to the historic tabernacle mm. that is kind of the original yeah, uh, yeah. expression of yeah. God's presence with his people. So why do I mention all that? I guess it's just to say that there's something about Jesus I think the Im- the, lang- the language that we use at Christmas is language of incarnation, mm-hmm. which is fine. Right. And there's other terms we use, but that's a, that would be a big one. Or there are there other? What would be some other terms we use to kind of describe the the thing? What's happening in Jesus at Christmas? Emmanuel. I, okay. Yeah. God with us. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's something fun about tabernacling or tenting. Yeah. Or camping out. Yeah. I don't know the best word for it, but. Um, overshadowing language. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my yes. Which is used to describe the spirit, mm-hmm. the spirit that overshadows Mary. Right. And then the same verb appears when the, the cloud comes mm. during the transfiguration. And it's similar terminology for when the spirit fills up the temple. Okay. And that's the other tabernacle in the mix here, too, would be Mary in her womb being right. sort of tabernacle yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. in whom the word dwells Dwells. Hmm. um so there's definitely something about dwelling here and where we wish to spend our time and i think there's a thousand sermons out of that but now i'm making a pun but a thousand (laughs) sermons but just pick one (laughs) because one is better than a thousand (laughs) well any last thoughts you want to slip in before we wrap up today there's no pressure to have some singular preaching idea. I, I want to kind of just leave it real open-ended. 
So if you want to slip in something under the... Uh, you know, the only thing I think I'd add, and this is kind of out of left field here, is I remember there was a season where this verse, this chapter troubled me mm. because I wasn't sure that I really did prefer yeah. the, the courts of the Lord more than other places. And I never knew what to do with that. And I don't even know that I have anything to, to say about that right now. But just just simply simply noting, this, is, this isn't a, necessarily an obvious I hated that song in college. <laughs> Didn't connect with me. Huh. And I also found it like just spitting out a bunch of words. Better is one day in your course than thousands elsewhere. Like it, yet it was, I, I found it uh, poetically uh, not great either. Uh, but <laughs> Poetically not great. Yeah, that wasn't very poetic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that brings us full circle to what we opened with, which is that the Psalms teach us what to desire. Hmm. And like the notion that the Psalm, I think we rightly come to the Psalms often first because it's this place in the scriptures that it's like this safe place in the canon where Hmm. we get to express feelings that don't feel religious Yeah, and they're given permission. It's a very worldly book, the Psalms in a way. Huh. But then when you linger there, it ends up having the opposite effect, which is it starts to actually train your mm, desires. Good. That's good. You know? Yeah. So I like that. That's a caption for the whole Psalter and the whole way to approach it is both to find yourself in it, but also to let it find you and shape you. Yeah. You know? Oh, I like that. I like that. Well, thanks so much. Mandy, for yeah, taking the thanks, time to John. dig into the word. Thanks to all our listeners, of course. Thanks to uh, Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing the show without them. Thanks uh, to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Special thanks to our patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to uh, become a patron of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can support us and get a little extra content as well. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.